0: Welcome to the politicalbetting.com polling matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, we've got an emergency podcast of sorts this weekend, a bonus one, if you will, to go over some of the local election results from this Thursday evening. There's a lot to get through, and I wanted to put down some of my thoughts um, in a solo show before we sort of di- dissect them further in the coming weeks. There's a lot of information to dissect and get through, and lots of conflicting. Reports and um, pieces of analysis around about what they mean, what they can tell us about the um, direction of travel politically in the UK, um, and I wanted to get my, my thoughts sort of uh, published sooner rather than later, rather than waiting until next week. So that's kind of what I'm what I'm what I'm doing on this show. As it's just me, um, it won't be as long as a normal polling matters. So probably about fifteen minutes or so, but we'll see how we we'll see how we get on. Um, so I mean, let's 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 start with looking at what the actual results were. Um, in, in, in summary, I mean, I think Labour had a good night, gained 77 councillors. Um, they won, in terms of uh, councils, they won Kirkless, Plymouth and Tower Hamlets. But then they lost um, control of Nuneaton and Bedworth uh, and Derby, so no overall control, and Redditch to the Tories. So in terms of net um, councils, they ended up kind of back where they were in terms of, in terms of the number of councils that they control. And I think the consensus seems to be that they failed to make the kind of breakthrough we might expect from a government, uh, a party, uh, an opposition party heading for government next time. Now, I'll come to that a bit later, um, but this is not a historically good night for Labour, and they, they did seem to struggle with the expectation management game a bit. Um, but more on that again a bit later too. Um, from the Tories' perspective, well, they won Barnet, and again, we'll come to that in a moment. Um, But they've lost 33 councillors net uh, and ended up with a net loss of two councils. Um, They did benefit somewhat from the collapse of UKIP overall, um, enabled them to take places like Basildon and Peterborough. Um, And they'll probably be relieved things weren't worse than they were. I think that um, it's not a great night for the Tories, but I think certainly that given they've been in government for so long, Given they've just lost their home secretary and some of the political difficulties they're having over Brexit, they probably would have would have taken this if offered it. Um, it offered it to them before um, the results were um, the votes were casted and the results were counted. Um, to sum up their results in terms of uh, net councils won and lost, so they've obviously lost two overall. Um, they won Peterborough and Basildon and Barnet, as I've mentioned, and took Redditch from Labour. But then that, that's, that's a gain of four, but then they lost six. So they've lost three to the Lib Dems, two to no overall control. That's Trafford and Mole Valley, and then Plymouth to Labour, as, as, as I kind of mentioned. Obviously, the when we look at the three main parties, there is a sort of circular aspect to this uh, in terms of um, going through who won, what, where, and why, and that sort of thing. Um, the Lib Dems seem to be uh, big winners, actually, uh, uh, on Thursday. Perhaps that wasn't expected. They gained 75 councillors, so almost as many as Labour. And a net control of four councils. So they took Richmond um, upon Thames, Kingston upon Thames, South Cambridgeshire, um, all from the Tories, as well as three rivers um, from uh, no overall control. So a good night for the Lib Dems and maybe something that people weren't really expecting. They, they've, they've really struggled for a major breakthrough, at least in Westminster voting intention. That may that may continue, of course, um, but they had a good night on Thursday and that, that, that should be said. So let's look at some of these results in a, in a bit more detail. We can't go through everything, of course, but I've picked out the ones that um, I think are notable. I've split this into London and the rest of the country. I think it's a difficult difficult set of local elections to analyse. The last thing you want to do, particularly as a guy living in Islington, Islington to be honest, is to just focus on London. Um, but then, of course, London was a big story. It was, I think, 40-odd percent, I think, of the councillors uh, of the seats that were up were in London. So, I mean... <laughs> By definition, you kind of have to you have to focus on London a bit, but I don't want to just do that. So let's start with London and then move on elsewhere. So I mean, I think with London, very good set of results for Labour. We should start by saying that Um, they did very well, gained lots of seats. I think it was a net gain of 60 of their 77 seats were in London. Um, I guess you can look at that two ways. One is how good they are in London, and the other is how you know uh, progress is not is inconsistent at least uh, elsewhere. but in London, they they did uh, well, but they avoid they didn't get some of the headline grabbing um, the headline grabbing councils that they thought they might get. So they, they didn't win Westminster or Wandsworth, and we'll come to those in a minute. Um, maybe they shouldn't have been expected to in the first place, but they, they didn't manage to win those. Um, but I think the big story um, from my perspective was Barnet. Um, it was a council where that fifteen percent roughly of the population is is Jewish, and as we all know, um, and we've looked at the anti-Semitism um, row to give it a term on this podcast um several times in the last few weeks um that does seem to have had a big impact here so the tories um you know have won barnet they gained six seats labor lost five the lib dems lost one so labor did have 30 out of 63 seats going into this election so they only needed to win a couple or net gains of a couple um to take the council and i guess in normal circumstances you would have expected them expected them to do that but obviously these aren't normal circumstances and they didn't they actually fell backwards And what struck me um, anecdotally alongside um, the results themselves was some of the journalists on social media commenting about the real strength of opinion they felt in the Jewish community um, uh, about this, as you would expect. I mean, it's it's totally understandable. And that really does seem to have cost Labour at the ballot box. And it does show that there are real world consequences. This isn't a Westminster bubble row. This is something that the Jewish community feels very, very strongly about. Uh, again understandably and they're making their feelings known at the ballot box there are as i say real world um, consequences here this isn't just tit uh, tittle tattle and you know it's a row that promises to continue and to go on and it will be interesting to see how labor deals with that and how how it responds in the future because clearly there is a problem with labor and the jewish community that isn't going away in terms of other areas of london i mean i mentioned westminster and wandsworth in my in my introduction Um, Westminster was something of a damp squid if um, Labour were expecting to take that I'm not not sure they were Um, the Conservatives ended up with 41 seats uh, losing 3, Labour gained 3 but they only got 19 so um, no Labour landslide uh, in Westminster so we can move properly swiftly on from that Um, I'm sure those Labour councillors will be happy to, the new ones will be happy to be there of course Um, Wandsworth was a a better story for Labour although they didn't take it Um, the Conservatives ended up with 33 seats down 8 um, Labour on 26, up seven, um, and then there's an independent, uh, one independent there as well. So I, I want to pause and talk about Wandsworth a little bit, because I think that some of the narrative uh, in Westminster and the media is sort of saying, well, um, you know, Labour didn't take Wandsworth. What a, what a what a bad night for them. But, you know, if, if you look at it, really, that is a good set of results in Wandsworth. Yes, they didn't take the council, but they are pretty substantial um pretty substantial gains if you start the night with 19 councillors and you add seven you, you know you're getting on for what was that about 40 odd percent or something like that um haven't done the maths there but adding sort of 40 45 percent uh of your councillors on top again to what you have i mean that's, that's that's a pretty pretty impressive result and it does show um you know labour making gains in london it is important even if it doesn't necessarily manifest itself in in taking councils uh in this particular case um london was not all about Labour though, um, there were some really fascinating uh, impressive, and, and impressive results for the Liberal Democrats. So I mentioned in the introduction that Richmond and Kingston uh, went to the Lib Dems but the swings here were, st- were astonishing. So uh, in Richmond um, the Lib Dems ended up on 39 seats gaining 24, um, the Tories on 11 losing 28 um, and the Greens gained four as well and, and now they have four seats too. Um, in Kingston, it was a similar similar pattern. Big swing to Lib Dems. So um, Lib Dems have thirty nine seats in Kingston upon Thames, up twenty one. Um, the Conservatives on nine, down nineteen, and Labour lost their only two councillors. So I guess this shows that you know Lib Dems making some not just progress, but some really substantial swings towards the Liberal Democrats uh, in certain areas. Um, now it may be geographically concentrated, but if they can if they can keep that up in other areas of the country. Then you know, maybe they can take some seats in the future uh, in Westminster because you know first past the post does certainly reward parties that can concentrate their support geographically. So that's something we'll have to um, have to keep an eye out for. Um, we'll come back to Lib Dems a bit later, but outside London, I mean, it's a bit of a catch-all. I do appreciate, but the picture is um, the picture is very different. So I mentioned earlier that 60 out of Labour's net gain, uh, net 77 gains, came from London you get the sort of idea here, there aren't not really substantial changes in the picture. But as we um said in our preview, the uh, collapse of UKIP pretty much everywhere, um and the unwinding of the UKIP vote, you know, continues apace pace and um, you know, it creates some interesting scenarios. So let's look at some examples. So in Basildon, um the Conservatives gained Basildon, as I mentioned in the intro, Um, Only a third of the seats were up, um, but the Conservatives end up with 23, up 5, Labour on 12, up 3, UKIP on 5, down 10. So uh, this is something we see sort of the general election, we're seeing it again in some of these local elections. Um, The Conservatives and Labour profiting from UKIP's collapse, the Conservatives in most cases a bit more than Labour, and in this case uh, that was enough to uh, give the Conservatives control of the council with 23 out of 42 seats. So precarious control to some extent but control nonetheless great yarmouth was another example uh, a, a, a traditional area of strength of course um for uh, for ukip i mean the conservatives held on to great yarmouth so there's not a change here but we can still see um some impact of the ukip vote collapsing here so ukip had 11 out of 39 councillors so almost a third now they've got one so they lost 10 10 of their 11 councillors tories gained six labour gained four again of a microcosm of what happens in some areas where uh, the collapse of ukip you know going back to conservative and labor a bit more conservative than labor though um at least in these areas where else um Nuneaton. so this is a place that people traditionally cite along with swindon as kind of you know the, the, the key swing seats um the tories uh, did hold Naneton at the last election no real significant swing against them i should caveat here though that i mean Often it's often the case that parliamentary boundaries and, and local authority boundaries don't necessarily perfectly align. I, I must confess I don't know how Nuneaton and Bedworth aligns. I suspect it doesn't with the parliamentary seat. Um, but nevertheless, this was not traditionally a type of area where you'd expect Labour to be making progress, um, but they maybe that's not the case anymore. Um, maybe the targeting will be different in the future. But in this in this case, Labour lost eight seats, um, and the, the Tories uh, gained nine. So you can see in places like Nuneaton, um, you know, the Tories making progress at the expense uh, at the expense of Labour. So Labour end up on um, seventeen out of thirty-four seats. Uh, the Tories on sixteen, and Lib Dems on one. So no overall control, although Labour narrowly the largest party there. So before we get on to what all this means, I mean, some other notable mentions I, I should uh, should uh, flag. The Tories did make some gains in some traditional Labour areas, which I, I suspect is related to the Leave vote although in a lot of cases it's quite hard to work out how important that is because Labour still remains dominant in many of these areas. So if we give you an example, in Leeds, uh, the Tories gained three seats, uh, Labour lost two, but Labour still got 61 out of 99 um, overall. In Wakefield, the Tories gained four seats, Labour lost one, but Labour still has 52 out of 63 seats, although in Wakefield only a third of them were up, um, so maybe if the whole council had been up, things would have been slightly different. Um, But these sorts of minor shifts aren't all meaningless. So in Derby, um, the Conservatives gained three seats, uh, Labour lost three seats, and now the council is in no overall control. Um, And where Labour does fall back a bit in the heartlands, some of their heartlands, is not all about the Tories. Um, In Hull, there's not a good news story for the Lib Dems, Labour has 31 out of 57 seats, so a slight majority, but had lost nine to the Lib Dems this time. So, you know, Real, real solid progress for the Lib Dems uh, in Hull of all places. Similarly um, in Sheffield Labour has 53 out of 84 seats but lost four um, of the 28 that were contested. Lib Dems gained three, Greens gained two, UKIP lost one. So lots of numbers there to, to, to go over uh, inside and outside of London but I guess what we're seeing is particularly outside of London a very complex regionalised picture as the, the, the um, UKIP vote unwinds and the Leave vote and then Remain votes do different things in different places. Um, now, obviously, Labour made net gains of 77, although, as, as I've said, um, most of those in London. So, I mean, where I've just described Labour losing seats, that's not you know, a complete picture of what we're seeing. But it is notable that there are, you know, outside of London, there are areas where Labour were falling back. And I think that's where, you know, if Labour Party people are looking at trying to form a government next time, certainly a majority government, They've got to look at why that is, and, and try and think about what, what what they can do with their strategy to try and improve um, improve in the future. I, I just wanted to go through some of those uh, some of those examples to really demonstrate that you know it's not all a great picture for Labour um, across the country. So I mean, I'll finish uh, this sort of brief podcast. Of what does this all mean? And that's actually quite a good question because it's it's quite hard to answer. I mean, one of the things that we know uh, from politicians and there's the supporters they have on social media or in the media generally. You know, everyone's in the uh, business of spinning these results one way or the other. You know, it, it was ever thus. Um, so there's a lot of noise out there. And one of the best ways to look at what's going on is to look at the projected national vote shares. Now, this is something we've talked about on this podcast before. This is where the um, sort of election experts try to extrapolate from the results we have available, because, of course, not the whole, the whole country didn't vote. And then we extrapolate from those uh, results what the whole country would have done if everyone had voted. It's obviously a diff- difficult exercise. I recommend um, Steve Fisher's blog on elections, etc., where he goes into lots of detail about how this is done. Um, but this has been something that's been done since the early 80s. And what we um, what we have is, is basically the two main parties tied. So the projected national vote share from the local elections was the Tories on 35, up 6, Labour on 35, up 4, Lib Dems on 16, up 3, and then other, including UKIP, UKIP. Um, on 14 down 13 so again that's that really that's the collapse of the um the ukip vote there now one interpretation of these results is to use them to um extrapolate what a what the house of commons would look like as a consequence if these results were repeated at a general election and the bbc did this and it has labor as the largest party with 283 seats gaining 21 tories on 200 sorry labor on 283 yep Tories on 280, down 38, Lib Dems on 22. And I think given the precarious nature of the current parliament, it doesn't really take Einstein to work out that if the Tories did lose 38 seats at a general election, then they wouldn't be in government anymore. Um, there'd be some kind of Labour-led minority government. Um, so that's one interpretation, right? Take the take the projected national vote share and say, OK, if that was repeated at a general election, um, you know, Labour would probably be the largest party or at least would form a government of some kind. That's one interpretation, but there are others. Um, there are some that are saying, actually, this is um, a really bad night for Labour because the projected national vote share, if you look at the relationship between that and uh, historic general election performance that subsequently comes, this wasn't a great night for um, um, for Labour. So Matt Singh and Steve Fisher are the two sort of that come to mind, uh, who, who have made this point. So um, Matt tweeted um, a couple of charts, which I, I strongly recommend um, looking at, um, where he's looked at sort of the, the relationship between uh projected national vote share and the general election uh, in the past so i mean and, and matt, one of the things matt tweeted is a, a dead heat a year after general election is par for the course for an opposition heading for another defeat so smith in 1993 obviously became blair um you know shortly after but smith in 1993 and cameron in 2006 won the national vote share in the local elections comfortably um and by historic standards, the swing from the governing party to the opposition here, you, you know, is um, 1.2%. Is the smallest since the um, since this is, this measure has been um, captured. So as I mentioned, projected national vote share only captured since the early 80s, and this is one of the smallest swings um, to the opposition, you know, since since records began, basically. Um, Steve Fisher, who I mentioned a moment ago um, in his blog, at elections etc., has suggested that Labour needs roughly a 10-point lead. Um, to demonstrate that it's on course, um, it's on course for government. So there are two very conflicting um, interpretations there. One takes the projected national vote share and says, right, um, as a consequence of that, Labour would be, would be the largest party. Um, others like Steve and Matt are saying, well, hang on, looking at what this means hist- uh, versus historical standards, suggests that Labour's on course for another defeat. So I guess the question is, who who do who do we believe? So. I mean, here's my response, really. So the first thing on the first one, I'm not a huge fan of extrapolating a general election result from the local election results. Um, I think I made this clear on social media yesterday. Um, I, I don't. I, I think the national vote, sh- the projected national vote share, is really useful and really interesting. I just don't see why you should turn that into a uh, what the result would be at Parliament. Um, it may very well be that you know Labour gains seats and the Tories can't form a government next time. That's perfectly plausible. But I don't think you could extract that from the local election results, um, they're, they're very different elections. Um, turnout's much lower at a local election, um, and you know people often vote in different ways locally and nationally. So, and the best example I can give of this is the BBC projected the Lib Dems on 16%, which is much higher than they were, that they are in current voting intention polls. Um and we saw last year in twenty seventeen the Lib Dems had a I can't remember exactly what the projected national vote share was, but it was in the upper teens and they got nowhere near that at the general election, what, six weeks later or a month later, something like that. So I really don't I really wouldn't put any weight on people sharing those 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 sort of parliamentary um scenarios where Labour are the biggest party based on the local elections. I'm just really not sure we can make join those two dots. Um and I think the, anyone that says the implicit suggestion from Thursday is that you know Labour's going to win the next election, I, I don't see how you can get that from this data. It may be true. I just don't think the data necessarily says that. Um, but what about the other analysis that says, that, OK, this is historically a bad night for Labour? Well, as, I'm, as I sort of allude to, that, that holds more weight for me because such analysis um, recognises that the projected national vote share at a local election and a general election are different beasts and it's trying to look at the relationship between them. So there's instinctively it makes more sense um and you know Labour should be concerned that by historical standards Thursday was not a great night for them um and they don't seem on course for a general election win based on that but if you can feel a buck coming um it's because there is I mean then there's a few things I'd point out here the most obvious one and I think it, it may it may irritate some people is that you know 2017 gives us a very recent case study of how the local elections, which pointed to Theresa May having a landslide, and the general election that followed were very different. So the local elections pointed to Theresa May doing extremely well, getting the big majority she wanted, and that obviously subsequently didn't happen because of the nature of the campaign. Now, there's always an exception that you know uh, to the rule, and it may very well be that that was a one-off and that was a fluke, but it should at least give us a pause as to when, you know, how much we can really extrapolate between local and general elections. That's all I would say. I'm not saying let's dismiss it, but I think that we should pause as a, as, as a result of that very recent example of the connection being weaker than we might have uh, thought. But that really isn't the main point I would make when trying to uh, uh, analyse Thursday and what it means. Um, my main point is there's a very, very specific political context right now, um, which means there's lots of uncertainty around on big, big issues, And therefore, trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future, and particularly on the basis of these local election results, is difficult. I still think the local election results are really interesting because they are real-world votes, and they're another data point that we can look at alongside the polls to see what's happening. But there's a number of reasons we can't overinterpret the significance of them. I mean, the first is, the the reality at Westminster is that the government's negotiating Brexit without a majority. Um, Brexit's the biggest issue of a generation, it isn't clear how the government's going to square um, opposition to a customs union and the Irish question. Um, this makes the situation in Parliament in terms of votes and you know who goes where in various votes on, particularly the customs union, really unpredictable, um, and therefore it makes the stability of the government um, unpredictable and the timing of the next election unpredictable. And there's, there's, so there's so much unpredictability, which I guess you're <laughs> subtly picking up that. How can how can you really necessarily say that because the projected national vote share was X in uh, the two thousand and eighteen local elections that means Y for a future general election? I mean, it's, it's very very difficult to do that. Um, Theresa May is the other point. So it's not remotely clear she's going to be the Tory leader at the next election. Most people think she won't be. I mean, she she might be depending on the context of of that election again. So she might have to uh, she might have to face the electorate as it were. Um, so when we're looking at things like her leader ratings and how she leads Jeremy Corbyn on the best prime minister rating uh, with YouGov by 10 points this week, um, how much does that matter? You know, um, It's hard to say. Um, we don't know who the next leader is going to be if there is a new one. Now, one thing I hear a lot of people say is that, well, the Tories will win next time because they're going to get rid of Theresa May, they're going to get someone in that's good and um, really electable, and then they'll wipe the floor of Jeremy Corbyn. I, I increasingly hear that from people on the left and the right. But what I don't hear is who this person is. Um, it could be that Michael Gove is the next Prime Minister, or Jacob Rees Mogg, or Boris Johnson. These are all plausible um, people that could end up being the next PM. None of them are particularly popular. Um, so I don't know you can necessarily say, let's say Michael Gove or Boris Johnson um, becomes Prime Minister. Are they more electable than Theresa May? Maybe they're less. So. The point is, we don't know who that leader's going to be regardless. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. this podcast isn't about predicting who it will be. Um, and again, so that means, OK, the future is uncertain again. And I think the final reason that we need to be really cautious is that, OK, we can project the national vote share based on local elections this week, but these local elections were only in England. Um, Scotland and Wales are going to have a big say in the next general election, um, given that it seems like majorities are, um, for either the Tories or Labour, are a ways off. Um now Wales, you know' is very important, but Scotland in particular, we've seen such volatility between 2015 and 2017. and it's not an exaggeration, is it to say that you know Ruth Davidson's performance and the Scottish Conservatives performance in 2017 has literally kept the Tories in power in Westminster. But will they do that again next time? We don't know, and we don't Thursday can't really tell us anything about that whatsoever. Um, so this is a pretty major major data point missing from um, Thursday's results if we're trying to extrapolate what might happen next time. So look, I mean, I, I don't want to create the impression that we can't learn anything from Thursday. That would be wrong. I think that we do know um, that, you know, the, the um, by historical standards, Labour did not do very well on Thursday. So even though they, they did, they sort of conversely, they performed well and they, they didn't. They performed well in absolute terms, but in terms of looking like a party that's on, you know, on course to win a majority government, let's say, next time, um, it wasn't as good. But... Um, if we can be certain of anything right now it's that we're in a period of uncertainty the timing of the next election the context of the next election who the leaders will be these are all unclear um and therefore you know ultimately even though labor didn't do very well on thursday they don't look like forming a majority government the political context is in flux to such a point where you know we can't rule them out even if histor- by historical standards this um, set of results suggests that they've got a, a real challenge um they don't need many gains next time to deny the Tories the ability to uh, form a government, and I think that's the way I would characterise things. Of course, it's totally possible that there could be a uh, swing towards the Conservatives next time. But if there isn't, they don't. The Tories don't really have any margin for error in terms of the parliamentary math of staying in government. If you ignore a potential Labour majority government, then the picture is very, very different. So it's not hard to imagine a scenario where there's some kind of rainbow coalition between Labour, the SNP, and the Lib Dems. Um, there's a whole other of a wider question then that, that comes up about, okay, in that scenario, what would the SNP and the Lib Dems want from Labour to, for, to give them their support? Would Labour offer anything? Um, what bits of Corbyn's agenda would actually get through Parliament if he's if it's a minority Labour government? Um, these are huge questions, and maybe, maybe questions for another day. But the point is, it's not hard for Labour to deny the Tories a majority next time. So... Um, I don't know. When I'm looking at the historical standards of the local elections uh, on Thursday, there's a lot of uncertainty going on. So that would be my advice, really, for anyone, is to you know learn from the local elections, study the results, um, really get into what's going on inside London, outside London, uh, and all the rest of it. But maybe let's not over-interpret it, because there are some major, major changes that are coming between now and when the next general election is, and they're going to be, in my opinion, more important than what happened Thursday. But anyway, that went on a bit longer than I thought. Lots to get through. Um, We were going to be unpicking some of the local election results and and sort of what what happens next in in the coming um, episodes of the podcast. But I did want to get some uh, thoughts down over the weekend um, before everything sort of fades to dust, as it were, and uh, the the world moves on. So um, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the solo show. It's a very different animal to uh, what we normally do um as ever if you can share the podcast give it a like on facebook or um itunes or give us a five star rating that sort of thing that would be really appreciated again it's the way we get our voice out there it's the way we get new listeners um but for now i'll leave everyone else to enjoy the sunshine and uh you know thanks for listening and uh, stay tuned for more episodes in the coming weeks